We're beginning a new series called Impact, the challenge to impact a post-Christian culture. And again, our society has become more pluralistic. The Judeo-Christian worldview is no longer the baseline for our culture. This is not a scoop. We've been watching this happen for decades. And we can complain and condemn what has happened in our culture, or we can do what followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, have been doing for 2,000 years. Adjust to the new culture. Now, we're not saying that we're going to change the gospel message. That stays the same. But we need to adopt new ways to relate to the culture. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are over 6,000 languages that people have identified, spoken uh, worldwide. Over 6,000. And for me, just to try to get an idea of how many different kinds of cultures exist on this planet, to me, language is a good measure of, culture, of how many cultures because language and culture, they're intertwined. You know, you really can't understand a language without understanding the culture it's used in. And likewise, you can't understand a culture if you don't understand the language. And, even, and so even if one, you know, one language represents one culture, well, that's over 6,000, but that's not even the case because you can have multiple cultures within one language, okay? The United States, English is the primary language, and yet you have different cultures. You have a Pacific Northwest culture. You have a Midwest culture. You have a Northeast culture. There's a different culture in the South. California, we're not even sure, but it's our own. That's a different culture too, okay? There's lots of cultures just within our country. And so um, given that, I don't know if you know this, that the Bible, at least part of the Bible, has been translated into somewhere in the neighborhood 2,500 to over 3,000 languages, which means the gospel has been spread to thousands and thousands and thousands of cultures, because disciples of Jesus have brought the unchanging gospel, that unchanging gospel message, in unique ways to each and every one of those cultures. And that is our challenge in this series. Because our culture has changed. And we know it's been changing. And we've been fighting against the change. But we need to stop that and ask ourselves, how are we going to impact a post-Christian culture? through our families, through our work, through our church, through our friends. How are we going to do that? Because it's a new day, but we have the same call. And Christians have been doing this, again, for 2,000 years in thousands and thousands of cultures. It's the same challenge in front of us. The details are different. Our scripture reader for this morning is Jeff Reinke. Jeff, I'm going to ask you to make your way on up to the podium. As he does, I'm going to ask if you are able to please stand and face the center of the room. And we read from the center of the room because, again, for us, the Word of God is to be central to who we are, who we are as individuals and who we are as a community of faith. And so, Jeff, whenever you are ready, please read from Acts chapter 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. 
as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting place, brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this teaching, this new teaching is that you're presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very things you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Jeff, thank you very much. You may be seated. Okay, the first challenge, if you will, of impacting a post-Christian culture is to know how we are different from our culture, to know what we believe and how that makes us distinct. Now, the story that Jeff just read, it took place in Athens, the same Athens, Greece, maybe some of you even have been there. Um, same city, a couple thousand years of time difference. But in Athens at that time, there were all sorts of temples with a large number and a large variety of idols. But in addition to that, the passage mentions two philosophical groups, groups that maybe you even have studied in high school or college or something of that nature, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, I'm going to give real brief descriptions of these two groups. It does not do it justice, especially if you've done any real studying of, of philosophy. But just real briefly, the Epicureans, they were materialistic in nature. They valued pleasure and peace. And the existence of the gods really didn't matter that much to them. The Stoics, they valued and stressed reason, uh, individual self-sufficiency. And they didn't believe in a personal god. So you had materialism, pleasure, peace, reason, self-sufficiency. Mixed in with all that is a bunch of religion. And if you think about it, that sounds a lot like us today. But Paul points out an altar to an unknown God. And he says to them, in essence, what you don't know is what I am going to share. In other words, this is going to be different from everything else around here. That's in essence Paul's point. How what he's about to share is different. And so he goes on to say in Acts chapter 17, I'll read you what he tells them. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. 
as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. If I were to quickly summarize what Paul just said there, he says, hey, look, God made all things. God doesn't need anything from us. Yet he is not far from us, and he wants us to seek him. And the resurrection is proof of divine appointment of Jesus as the judge. Now, none of those things were widely held in first century Athens, and the resurrection just struck them as foolishness. Now, if I were to maybe summarize Christian faith in our to our culture, I would say something along the lines of, hey, look, God is the creator of all things. We are created by God. Our sinfulness is what separates us from God. Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead, and we can have new life in Jesus. And while not too long ago, the Christian faith was a baseline of our culture, many of the things that I just said are not widely held in 21st century America. And the resurrection is still viewed as foolishness. Try to have a serious conversation with someone who's not a church-going person about the resurrection. See what kind of reaction you get. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Again, in the passage that Jeff read, it said that they called Paul a babbler. A babbler. The word for babbler um, is a word that's derived from a reference of a bird picking up scraps in a gutter. So in other words, it wasn't a compliment. Uh, what Paul was saying in their eyes and minds was simply scraps of knowledge not worth very much. And the reactions to what we believe, of course, are going to be mixed. Some won't see the power behind our faith. Some won't see the logic behind our faith. But some, some will see Christ as the power and wisdom of God, as many of us do. Again, look at some of the reactions that Paul got, continuing in Acts chapter 17. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of them became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Again, some won't see the power of our faith, some won't see the logic of our faith, but some will come to see Christ as the power and wisdom of God. Now, back in the story with Paul, in Athens, the Athenians, it says, really liked to hear new ideas. If you arrived in Athens back then and you had some kind of new philosophical or religious idea, you were going to have people interested in hearing what you had to say. They wanted to learn something new. But we live in a post-Christian culture. Christian ideas are not new. 
No one's going to come up to say, oh, that's a new idea. We've never heard of such a thing before. That isn't happening. It's not the newness of the ideas or theology of the Christian faith that is going to win people over. It's not new ideas. It's when people experience something new about the Christian faith, when they experience it in a new way. Again, our culture has a nice stereotype for who we are. And until they experience something new, we're not going to have an audience at all. But if their experience of Christians is different, that has a real chance of potential of giving us an audience. If their experience of who we are is different, we will earn an audience. But if their experience of Christians is no different than anyone else, then I think it would be fair for anyone to say, well, what difference does your faith make? It doesn't seem to have any value at all, which happens to be the dominant view of our culture. Our culture needs a new experience of Christ followers. And that's what we want this series to be about, is to how to make an impact through our work, through our family, through our friends, through our church. And it's going to involve giving the people that you interact with in every one of those realms a new experience of the Christian faith. Because if we are no different than anyone else, we are going to make zero impact in the name of Jesus. If we are no different, we will make no impact in the name of Jesus. And so it's important for us to ask, how are we different because of our faith in Jesus? How are you different because of your faith in Jesus? How am I different because of my faith in Jesus? The first challenge of impacting a post-Christian culture is knowing how we are different from our culture. The second challenge is knowing how to build bridges with our culture. Now, at the beginning of today's passage, it says, the one that Jeff read, says that while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Another way that we could translate the words greatly distressed is we could translate that by saying that Paul was greatly angered or that he was very upset or he was deeply troubled. What in our culture angers you? What in our culture upsets you? What in our culture troubles you? How did Paul react? to the idols that angered, upset, troubled, and distressed him. He used them to build a bridge. He says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now he was very diplomatic. When Paul called the idols objects of worship, 
because he was not happy with the idols. He found them offensive. He did not approve of them. But he didn't condemn, berate, attack, slam, or criticize. He used the thing that offended him to build a bridge without compromising what he believed. Now we could ask, how did he do that? I think a better question is, why did he do that? Why didn't he just slam or criticize or berate? You know, the stuff that, that I would at least tend to do when I see things in our culture that I don't like, you slam it. He didn't do that. Why? 2 Corinthians 5, I think, gives us good insight to Paul's thinking. Paul wrote this. He said, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors build bridges without compromising who they are. That's Paul's thinking. And so if you proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You're an ambassador. And you may be thinking, well, I don't care. I don't want to be an ambassador. Well, tough luck. You don't have a choice. If you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are now an ambassador. And you don't have a choice in that. What you do have a choice with is to choose what kind of ambassador you are going to be. Now look, none of us are perfect ambassadors. And let's be honest, we all have moments where quite frankly, we don't want to be ambassadors. I don't feel like being an ambassador. We don't care about being ambassadors for God. And again, there's lots of reasons for it, but the bottom line is we just don't want to. To. And so we mail it in. You know, we don't even try in moments to be ambassadors. Hey, look, again, none of us are perfect ambassadors. But in a post Christian culture, we can't afford to mail it in, to not even try. Folks, those days are gone. The days that as Christians, we could just kind of haphazardly go about our faith and everyday life and think that we would make a difference, those days are gone. We now live in a day where how seriously we take being ambassadors for Jesus is going to make all the difference in what kind of impact we make for Christ. Again, we don't have to be perfect it's not like we're never going to make a mistake or never have a weak moment. But as Christ's ambassadors, for goodness sake, we at least have to care about the role and take that seriously and make it a part of our identity that, hey, guess what? In addition to all the other things I am, I am an ambassador for Christ every day wherever I go. Folks, the days to not do that are gone. It doesn't exist anymore. As Christ's ambassadors, we have to care. God is making his appeal through us. Look, God is trying to reach somebody through you. God is trying to reach somebody through you. We can't mail it in. 
Again, in college, there's this guy named Chris Peck, and he took his role as being an ambassador. He took that very seriously, and he invested in me. And God used him to change my life direction for all eternity. God is trying to reach someone through you. Are we just going to mail it in? Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If we proclaim that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, as that passage says, a part of us has died, I've been crucified with Christ. But it also says that Christ lives in us. Christ lives in you. Now, let that sink in for a second. Because it's easy to just kind of disregard that. Christ lives in you. Brothers and sisters, wherever you go, you bring Christ with you. I don't know what you're planning on doing after church, but whatever you're planning on doing after church or end up doing after church, you are bringing Christ with you. It's inescapable. And because of that, you can make an impact wherever you go because Christ lives in you. Now, on one end, that's, it feels like a burden because of the responsibility, because you may be the only presence of Christ someone will ever get to experience. So there's a little, not a little, there's a lot of pressure there. I get that. But it's also a gift because you can make an eternal difference because Christ lives in you. It's not because of you that you can make an eternal difference. It's because of Christ living in you that you can. Through your family, friends, at work, through TFRC, you can make an impact wherever you go because Christ lives in you. Please pray with me. And Lord, I'd ask that you would remind each and every one of us of something that we forget so quickly. And that is the presence of Christ in our lives, that Christ lives in us. And Lord, we ask for wisdom and for power and for courage so that we can live out our faith in a way that makes an impact in our culture. And so that people would see the power of Christ in us because of how we follow him. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.